Hello, and welcome to Small Business Happy Hour, a podcast where we interview a different entrepreneur or small business owner every week to hear their story. We chat about their business, passions, struggles, and all things small business. Oh, and we drink with our guests during the interview, hence the happy hour. I'm your host, Derek, founder of Yoga for All Humans, a fully online yoga studio. And I'm your host, Holly, creator of the blog, The Bitter Lemon, and author of many books. We are so happy you're here. Hi, Holly. Hello. How are you? Doing okay. <laughs> I'm good. I'm kind of tired. I just did like a little eye massage. I pretty much finished work, did like a 15 minute eye massage, and then now I'm here. Because you have the eye massage thing. Yeah. And it's a really good investment. Like a mask. Yeah. It's like a mask, but it also, the best way you can think about it is kind of like whenever you're getting your blood pressure taken, you know, how like inflates and like, puts pressure that's what the eye massager does as well so like uh, massages basically from like my temples all the way over my eyes it's really nice wow Mm -hmm. that's really nice i use that in shavasana a lot of times oh yeah wow Mm -hmm. very luxurious so luxurious (laughs) (laughs) that's the life i lead Wow. A life of luxury. You wish you could live live my life. I do. I do. Oh my God. But I haven't really had much going on this week. I mean, we just talked on Sunday. You know, it's Thursday. Um, so I've just pretty much been working. That's, that's all I've done this week. I usually don't work so many consecutive days in a row, but I am going on a trip tomorrow so mm. i requested days off and you know retail like their week is different their week their week is like starts on sunday so it's like if you ask for saturday and sunday off you're you're dipping into next week yeah so i worked monday tuesday wednesday thursday and you know i'm working in this remodel phase of my part-time job which means what they did was I think I kind of explained it on a podcast earlier where we moved all of our inventory to like a third of our store and then construction workers and electricians are working on the other side to update that. And then we'll move everything to that side while they update the other side. And right now the store is closed to customers, but it will reopen to customers while there's still construction going on because obviously a remodel takes a while. But today I had a 6 a.m. shift and it was just me, another associate, and then a few managers. And really how the store is set up is like most of our inventory is sort of in the back of the store. And then we have a kind of a staging area in the front where the cash register used to be. And that because we're still receiving shipment and then we're processing shipment and putting it away, even though it's so crammed, like we're working such a small area. So this morning, me and another girl, What's a good name I can call her? <laughs> uh, Susan. Susan. We're working in the front, just us two. And we were literally unpacking boxes when all of a sudden we hear this like giant crack. And both of us looked up and an electrician was coming through the ceiling. Like... In my mind, it happened in slow motion, but I bet for him, it happened very quickly. Like the ceiling just cracked and his legs came through and then his whole body came through. And I mean, it was probably a 15 foot drop from Mm. ceiling to a concrete floor. And this is an adult male. He didn't yell or anything while he was falling. And then once he fell, I don't know how long... Like I said, it felt like it was in slow motion, but I was honestly thinking he was going to be knocked unconscious when he fell. But then he started screaming. And at first I thought, okay, at least he's conscious. And the thing is, 
you know, he's not an, he is not an employee of the store. Mm -hmm. Like he works for a construction company, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a human that has just fallen from the ceiling. And so I just started yelling, like yelling. I just started saying, Oh my God, help. We need help. And no one was coming, but there's construction going on. So I just started running. Like I ran to the back of the store to find the managers to, I didn't know if we needed to call 911 or if they had protocol, whatever. I run to the back, all the managers in the office. And I was like, someone just fell from the ceiling and they were just like, what? And I'm like, he's on the ground. I was like, I don't know if he's okay. Like, I don't know. And Susan was closer. Like he, he landed probably a foot away from Susan. Like if she would have stepped any further to the left, like he would have just straight up landed on her. And I know some of the ceiling like fell on her, but I just ran because I was like, I don't know what to do. So I just stayed in the office because on top of that, like medical stuff is like not yeah. it gives me so much anxiety like I can't deal with blood even my own medical stuff I can't deal with like blood um the thought of something happening to this poor guy I I was just like I'm gonna stay back here because I will faint if I see an ambulance game over like oh my god oh I stayed in the back my coworker was okay but they they had her like file an incident report and yeah. they did like sort of a physical, like over the phone with her and like asked her to like, you know, they asked her all these questions and they asked her to like raise her arms. And she basically had like these, the ceiling tiles like fell like on her shoulder blade and they had me like lift up the back of her shirt and tell and report if she had any like redness on her skin Um, any like injuries on her face, whatever the electrician that was on the floor, you know, he was taken by a medic. I hope he's going to be okay. Like I've been thinking about it all day because I just, I know that that is a job that obviously comes with risks, but like, holy crap, you know, they were, the managers were saying that it's supposed to be safe to be like, walking above that ceiling yeah all framed with metal beams but one of the metal beams broke and that's what came through the ceiling it was hanging like it had not so like once once i calmed down i went up to the front and like took pictures and it's like a metal beam was like coming through the ceiling and then there was like a fluorescent light that was like hanging by a thread like it looked like final destination (laughs) <laughs> like there's a huge hole in the freaking ceiling and that metal rod could have just come through one of our necks you know mm. like yeah straight kebab style <laughs> <laughs> do you know if you broke anything i think you must have susan said that he was kind of holding on to his elbow and it's okay. like, I don't know how he, you know, he felt, he fell like kind of leaning back. So it's like, at the very least he had to just, I don't even know what it's called, but he had to just have blunt, like, cause yeah. he just hit the ground so hard, you know? Or how he's got PTSD. And yeah. And I was like, thanks by the way, for unlocking yet another fear, because I feel like yeah. I'm really afraid of everything. <laughs> now of course afraid, that would happen to you now i'm afraid of someone coming through the ceiling like <laughs> i wish i could tell you how long both me and susan were standing there like it felt like a long time but it was probably just a few seconds like when he hit the ground i looked at him and i just go oh my god <laughs> <laughs> It's probably like this bitch. I know, but I was just so stunned. <laughs> oh my like, god. When he's then he started yelling like in pain. And I was like, wait, yeah. oh my god, oh my god. And I literally just sped down the hallway like full speed running. And I just kept screaming, Oh my god, we need help. But of course, no one was taking me seriously. They probably were like, What? 
what Justin Bieber news did Holly hear? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that poor guy. I know. I really hope he's okay and just needs rest, like, and nothing serious. It sucks. Like, whenever you're working in a safety sensitive position like that, if an accident happens, there's so many steps that that company has to take to file the reports and do the investigation. So like, it's not over for him, even if he's okay and he feels better, like he may get reprimanded. He may get fired. He's going to, you know, workers comp, like all this stuff. Like it's, it's a, such a headache. And, you know, now his buddies are going to be looking at him. Like you messed it up for all of us. Like, you know, it's just, it's yeah. All day. I've been kind of thinking about how, any sort of mundane job or task that you have like does involve some sort of risk, whether or not. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. It. And it's right. like, yeah, I am working a retail job and honestly, I mean, I'm someone that's decently paranoid, but never really was going to work thinking that someone was going to fall through the ceiling. Right. <laughs> no, it didn't really cross my mind. Yeah. Um, tripping over something, dropping something. Yeah. Those types of things, but. Laura, I'm glad you're alive. I know. And un- unharmed, at least physically. Physically, <laughs> mentally <laughs> scarred. I'm sure I'm going to have nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll have to keep us posted. <laughs> this episode is a good one. It, I'm, I'm really excited for everyone to hear this guest because I learned a lot. Like, I've always been, I think, pretty responsible whenever it comes to being like environmentally conscious, you know? Yeah. But I never thought. Like, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that the clothing industry was very irresponsible and contributing toward a lot of things, mm-hmm. but it didn't realize to the extent that it was. So it's definitely a very informational episode as far as how the clothing industry impacts the environment from a lot of different angles. Um, and I think it's also, you know, whenever we think about, like, what we can do to make a change, you know, a lot of times I feel like we feel really defeated. And by we, I mean people that actually give a shit about the world. You know, it's like, what am I going to do as one person? But if everyone has that mentality, then like nothing's going to happen. Yeah. So it it was refreshing just because if you just think about like how many clothes you have as one person, like that's a lot of impact, you know? And if you can start making these changes, talking to other people about these changes, like that's, that's how change happens because obviously we can't depend on people with power and influence to do it themselves. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 This one, this one was a really informative conversation. Uh, I learned a lot too, even though I um, feel like I have kind of done my Googling as far as, you know, I feel like I learned some stuff before which is why I thrift pretty much everything I wear. But hearing more from Jessica, it was really because she's been in this industry, you know, she's yeah. not just someone that's like admiring it or a thrifter. Like she is making the change. So it definitely reinvigorated my desire to keep on. And I think what you're saying, like, yeah, one person can make a change. But like the big thing for me is like, it's really just looking at your shopping habits like a little bit differently. Like Mm -hmm. I know for for me, like I think back to like when I would buy outfits like for specific things and it's like really if you just approach shopping differently, like you're not, I, I feel like now that like, I don't shop that way. Like I am literally just sort of always on the hunt for certain items since it's like, Oh, I feel like going to Goodwill today and I'm going to keep an eye out for a new white t-shirt, like whatever it changes the way, because it's like, I never have to, I'm not like, Oh, I have a work trip coming up. I need to buy five new outfits. So it's like, no, I just straight up don't do that. You know? Mm-hmm. So it even changes like my, the way I prepare for things or my whole, my whole aspect of clothes and fashion. Yeah. Yeah. It was enlightening. I, 
I know that I've already started to make some changes and have more changes I need to make after this conversation. I don't really shop a lot to begin with. Yeah. Um, but when I do, you know, and the clothes I still need to get rid of, <laughs> I have a better idea of what to do with them now. So, well, y'all enjoy. It's a fabulous conversation. Hello. Hi, Jessica. Hi. How are you? Where are you based out of? I was just about to ask you oh. the same thing. Uh, me and Derek are both in Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. My my boss is there for a conference right now. Uh, I'm in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like monsooning out, so you're not missing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to be like that here today, but I haven't seen it yet. Have you been on any other podcasts, Jessica? Yeah, it's weird. I've had this like run, mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, I was on my first one ever. And then people just assume that you're on all, all, all like a lot. And from yeah. there, it was just this like back to back. I was doing two or three a week. This oh, wow. 15th in the last two months, three months. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And then from there, I just got booked for some speaking engagements. I was just at Duke mm-hmm. um, noting and I'm going to New York Design School in June. Um, so it's just weird how things kind of just snowball. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Hello. Hello. I'm so sorry. I'm, our doctor's office calling me, and you know how it goes. If you don't answer whenever they call, you'll never get back in touch with them. Oh, yeah. It'll be another decade until. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we got my appointment scheduled. We're good to go. So, so sorry, Jessica. Nice to see you. You as well. Your hair is so pretty. Oh, thank you. It's not real. <laughs> It's a six sentence. I love it. That's a good extensions. That's awesome. Well, Jessica, are you drinking anything today? Um, I have an iced coffee. Okay, that counts. I'm going on a a hinge date after this. Are you? I'm going to save my drink until I get to the bar. Okay, that's responsible. Where are you going for your date? Just a place down the street. You know, okay. it's, a number, it's a numbers game, right? So, yeah, like stay out there. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast uh, interviews, hinge dates, so busy. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> That's awesome. How are you drinking? It sounds like you're making something fun. Yeah, I made the. Mm. I bought that dragon fruit, so I muddled it and put it with uh, vodka. And just the water and lime juice. It's pretty good. You're a bartender over there. <laughs> she is a former bartender. Yeah, but the running joke is I always have wine for, for a couple episodes. I tried to do like cocktails and stuff, but um, I'm just a bad wine drinker. And but what did you get today? So, like I texted you, I had to run to the gas station real quick to get my <laughs> gas station. Um, <laughs> That's actually a really good brand. Like this gas station actually has good good wine. So it's the Fat Bastard again. Oh, I like that wine. Oh, we've had Fat Bastard, yeah. It's really good. And it's, you know, not too pricey. And I actually kind of like so we do you have total wine out there, Jessica? No, we have it in Delaware. It's like we have to drive to Delaware to go there. But they have everything. Yeah, Yeah, I love total wine. So, like, I'm a slave for convenience, so usually I'll just, like, order, like, you know, curbside at Total Wine, and they'll bring it out to me. But the past few times I've gone, uh, I've been willing to, like, kind of, like, you know, just explore different wines. And I've actually gone in, you know, go to the Pinot Noir aisle and just, like, look and take my time. So I've been trying a bunch of different ones to see, like, what it is that I like about different wines. And so far I've discovered that I like French wines the best. Okay. Wow. So I need to kind of dig into like, what is it about French wines that I like? There you go. Yeah. So I think that makes it a little bit fancier. Yeah. And this is a, this is a French wine, even though it was from the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> the top, like Jessica, I would just love to hear your story. You know how how helps you was founded, how you became the fashion disruptor. Ooh. 
I started my career really after I got my master's degree in public administration back in 2009. My first job out of my grad degree was running a social enterprise for a nonprofit that collected clothing donations to dress women transitioning back into the workforce. This is really where I saw firsthand that there's no magical matching system in the donation in, in the nonprofit sector, right? And so as consumers, we clean on our closet, we drop it off at the front door and like our thought process kind of stops there. But for the nonprofit, if we're not donating exactly what they need, they're then inundated with product that they can't use and they don't have the payroll and the labor and the warehouse to deal with it. So it's my job to find a way to monetize the product that we couldn't use. That's really where I learned brand knowledge, sorting, condition checking, processing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then from there, I went to like traditional buy, sell trade stores like Plato's Closet. I worked at every consignment store in my zip code, uh, worked directly under um, owners. So I learned just a lot of, gained a lot of PL experience. And then I decided I didn't want to work for anyone ever again. And <laughs> started my own consulting business after I had my son in 2016. Uh, where I was basically doing consulting for a lot of the mom and pop shops in my area and uh, helping them with sell-through rate of secondhand clothing. And then one of my clients ended up hiring me full-time. So I went back to working for someone. Long story short, I started a mystery box business in 2020 and uh, Helpsy was one of our clients at the time and they kind of acquired my whole team. And, mm. and here we are today. Very cool. So what is the mystery box business? So we were collecting excess product from thrift stores, um, kind of just like the nonprofit world, right? Product that the thrift store couldn't use. We were yeah. and bringing it home into my garage at the time and just curating these really cute mystery boxes for resellers so that we could ship product straight to their door and they wouldn't have to go sourcing. And in 19 months, we did $8 million in revenue and we were like, okay, I think we have something here. Um, and at the time, so in 2020 with COVID, people couldn't go to the thrift store. It kind of was like that moment of what's Poshmark going to make it or were people going to be able to continue selling their things or not? Um, and it just really happened to be the right time. Hmm, that is very cool. So for those listening that don't know what it means to be a certified B Corp, what is what does that mean? Sure. So we are not a nonprofit and we are not, just for profit. So we say that we are for purpose and profit. Um, mm. We are profit driven, but we are, are also mission driven. And our mission is to keep clothing out of landfill. Um, something that is unique about B Corps is that um, we are very transparent. So with you know, a traditional business, every everything can really be behind closed doors. And we're very, you know, out in the open with how we run our business, our wages. So we collect around 36 million pounds of discarded clothing a year and keep that out of landfill. Wow. That was just an unfathomable number. 36 million. It's unfathomable, however you say that word. To me, yeah. too, I've been in the industry my whole career. And it's just like, if you think about it, we're just one small company. We service a yeah. lot. You know, we're not we're not even out of like a small part of the East Coast. And it's really scary. The average consumer throws away 100 pounds of clothing a year. A year? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I saw that on your website. That's that's yeah. so crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like throws it away. That, that doesn't include. Does that include donating or? Nope. Just, no, just throwing away. Cash and that ends up straight in landfill. And there's so much value in a lot of the product that people are throwing away. And that's what helps yeah. this model is really based on is extending the life cycle of garments and, and really providing that matching system of like, okay, here's all the Zara that's come through the sort, which be, which B2B company out there wants to sell Zara, secondhand Zara, because there is a market for that, mm. um, you know, and here's a bunch of used uh, strollers. You know, baby strollers. We we've been able to offload truckloads of those to uh, resale kids stores that need them. Damn, yeah, that's that's such a big market. That's very cool. Um, yeah, I was sad because of, like when I was researching. So Holly and I live in Austin. I don't know if we said that off the top or if you've you know just saw that from our yeah. profiles. Um, 
And yeah, I was looking up Pepsi and I was like, is there a drop off right And I was like, no. <laughs> no, not. But there's an Uptown Cheapskate near you, Craig Berlin. Uptown owner. Cheapskate? Okay. He's yeah, he's a customer of ours. You can sell your clothing there. They take men's and women's. Okay. That's, that was going to be one of my questions later down was like, what do I do with my clothes? Because like, I have grown in body size <laughs> over the past couple of years and finally came to terms with like, I have all these clothes in my closet that don't fit anymore, make me sad to look at. So I just need to, you know, part with them. Um, and so I literally have like three black trash bags full of like good clothing. It's not like, you know, clothing with holes in it. And I know that that's part of, you know, a problem with donation, which we'll talk about. Um, so that was going to be my question. Like, what what is the ethical thing to do with all this clothing? Yeah, so it's twofold. One is like the inception of before you bring that item into your closet, how can we kind of just train our mind a little differently to make purposeful purchases? There's just so mm-hmm. much memory, like impulse, grab it, add to cart with free shipping and free returns, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can just kind of like pause for a second and think before we make that purchase. And then at the time of making the purchase, if you were to think about how are you going to exit that piece out of your closet years later when you're finished, it kind of just makes you think of the whole process instead of just like segregating out the the want and the need at the time. Um, but options are, you know, donating to a local nonprofit. With that, I always advise people to really just call or they need to be vetted on a website to make sure that you're not giving men's swimwear to a women's only nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, you can sell your own clothes on various marketplaces and make a great side hustle, you know. That's who a lot of our customer base is. And then okay. Dropping clothes off to buy, sell, trade stores. So clothes mentors, Plato's Closet, Style Encores, Uptown Cheapski. I think there's Crossroads trading out by you guys as well. About, um, like, what are your thoughts on like Goodwill? I like Goodwill. Okay. They are massive. And until there is more standardization in the industry and more innovation and technology, they are they're kind of the dumping ground, right? Everyone knows Goodwill Goodwill is that nonprofit that we talked about in the beginning that just gets slammed and and Mm -hmm. and they have no choice other than to offload overseas where then we don't don't have accountability of where that goes once it, Mm -hmm. um, and often that, that does end up in landfill just by chance. So, you know, a lot of things, sometimes we talk about it more. We just want to delay the time until it gets to landfill. So one more use before you give it to a friend or one more use before you drop it off in a bin really makes a difference. That helps. Thank you. So are the customers, is it just B2B or you mentioned like individuals? Is it also B2C? We are B2B only. Okay, B2B. We did launch a D2C platform in June and we failed miserably. I'm not embarrassed to admit. And it was no. a really good learning experience of you know, we are not in the singles business. We don't deserve to be there. And we're bulk people at heart, you know? Yeah. And we like to empower our customers to be able to sell to the end consumer and help them really with their business. So that's cool. Yeah. How so people work at Helpsy? Sorry. <laughs> what was your question? Asked how many people work at Helpsy. Oh. We have about 200 employees. Um, wow. Predominantly women. Um, mm. We have four warehouses, Philly, Jersey, Boston, and New York. Wow. And our bins are in 11 states. We have a few thousand. Um, and I, I see us, you know, down the road expanding um, you know, into the Midwest and further from there. So hopefully, yeah. I hope to be able to call you next year and say, we're in Texas. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of people here. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to ask? Emily? Just about the life cycle of like, what are the steps? Like if someone drops off clothes or and then like, how do you sell that to the other businesses? What is like the, the process for that? Yeah, so we have 65 trucks on the road, seven hour, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, collect servicing our bins. Some of the really popular bins 
Um, we are servicing multiple times in a day. All the product comes back into one of our four warehouses where my team and our tech team developed a sortation app where when we touch the clothing, the sorter will input the brand the gender and the condition level. And then based on our historical data, the app will tell the sorter who now doesn't need to have any brand knowledge, right? Because we've developed this like training system. Um, The app will tell the sorter which bucket that product belongs into that'll give it the highest resale chance. So I always use Zara as an example, or J. Crew, Free People, Madewell, like all those mainstream brands as they come through the sort, the app will flag them and send them to my business arm, which is the mystery box business, because I can resell those brands all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's challenging to resell Shein and Fashion Nova and fast fashion brands, um, which is why like fast fashion always kind of ends up in the conversation of recycling and sustainability. It causes a lot of challenges for companies like Helpsy. You know, we're able to run data where we can see the top 10 brands that come through our sort. Do you want to take a guess of what, of what some of the top 10 brands are? Top 10 brands. Navy. What did you say? Old Navy. Yes. Old Navy, it's one of them. Yeah. Gap. Yeah, Gap, Banana Republic. Nope. You already said uh, J. Crew. Uh, oh, yeah. J. Cruise number 14. Okay. Zara, you mentioned Zara. Zara, Shein. One, one of the Target labels. I, I forgot which one. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, target. Marona. It might be Marona. Uh-huh. Um, but it's interesting. The first brand that hits the list that has a higher like value is Madewell. So that was, that's interesting. So something else that we do is like we'll sell that data back to a brand like Nike, where Nike... Mm may want to see, you know, what product is coming through our sort, how many units are people offloading of their brand a year, um, so we can help provide that data back to them. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's a good way to understand, like, the the 360 view of what you're creating. Yeah. Huh. What a fascinating business model. That's cool. Derek, I'm going to debunk another myth for you that I I think... about when you return something uh-huh. let's say a coals when you return it it does not go back on the rack really i knew you'd be surprised mm-hmm. yeah it just it goes to a liquidating liquidation center and it sits there until a third party comes along and buys it in bulk really but how do you know that whatsoever (laughs) like I um so I I work a part-time retail job like in the beauty space right now and for one seeing how much stuff people return has blown my mind almost every Monday that I work hundreds and hundreds of dollars are returned just on like my five-hour shift like and all that stuff gets thrown away everything you return literally oh my god and we also, the place where I work is a location for happy returns. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, with happy they're returns. a partner of ours. And seeing the amount of things that people give to happy returns. And I'm like, those, I know that those obviously don't just like necessarily, I assume they didn't just go back to the retailer because it's, it's so many different brands that are coming through. And I was literally thinking what a logistical nightmare for that to be shipped to all these different places. So what you're saying makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, it is a logistical nightmare. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whose who's responsibility is it? Yeah. It? I mean, just fixing the return chaos is a problem in itself. The return industry is a $761 billion like nut of the $4.2 trillion retail industry. So the Mm. rate right now lives around 23% of all that's purchased is returned. And the the reason that brands don't take it back is they can't handle the logistical part themselves. So that skew is, that skew is off the books. It's been scanned out. It's out of their POS. When they take it back, there's there's no system right now for them to just boop scan it back in and it's it's back in inventory so off it goes yeah and it's like that is so crazy i mean we've been hearing about how brands are going to start charging for returns and like what you're saying makes sense because it's like people have now gotten in this habit of like yeah well just buy five sizes of the same thing or i'll i'm going to stagecoach let me buy 20 outfits and i need two 
and then they return all that stuff. And it's just like, I don't even know how a business would be able to make sales goals based on that because it's like, oh, here we sold all this stuff. And then 30 days later, 80% of it is coming back to us or whatever. Like that's insane. It's crazy. It reminds me of like in college, Holly and I worked at Abercrombie <laughs> at like two separate times. Abercrombie like, models? Oh, they put you in the back. <laughs> Dude, I wanted to go to the back. They tried to put me on the floor, and I was like, absolutely not. Um, but no, that reminds me now because, like, you know, whenever, like, if, like, styles, whenever they like are discontinued, right? They would have us like damage them. Do you remember this, Holly? I don't know if this happened at your store too, but I was at Abercrombie Kids. They would have us like take a like a uh, box cutter and like slice the shorts and stuff so that like, and then we would throw them away in the dumpster. And that way, like, you know, if someone were to go dumpster diving, they couldn't, they couldn't take you know, take the product. Isn't that terrible? Because the brand doesn't want to hurt their brand equity. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. what's more important. Well, so that, that was back then, right? Yeah. Mm. I would say I've seen, there's a shift going on. For sure. Massachusetts just did a complete textile ban so that the brands like Abercrombie are now getting massive fines if they're throwing away their own textiles. So Helpsy is actually um, the main recycling partner for Boston. And we're servicing a lot of the TJ Maxx's and and big box stores like that because they're now being forced to to handle it the right way. And I don't think that Abercrombie probably ever wanted to slice the garment, right? But they didn't Mm -hmm. have a solutions provider calling them being like, Hey, instead of cutting up your stuff, let me take it. And here's what we're going to do with it. Right. And it's like the cost, like you said, if if we were to ship it somewhere that would have cost a lot of money, probably more than the clothes were worth. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's crazy. So we have a lot of work to do, Derek and Holly. I know that that was one of my questions. I was like, you know, there's so many societal issues and there's a lot of noise and obviously like a lot of lobbyists and a lot of people with big pockets that are trying to, you know, keep their money. So I'm just kind of curious, like you mentioned Massachusetts, you know, placing fines and stuff. That's good to hear. Cause I was curious, like what is going on in the legal aspect to yeah. counteract, you know, like all of this unnecessary production, right? Uh, um, California is putting something similar in place or trying to pass it. New York is starting to test a similar model. But I really think that it's a lot of small changes by all mm. of us. I know that is so cliche. Holly, to your point of like the people that are purchasing five of, you know, one thing, but different sizes, if they're mm-hmm. going to do that, fine. But maybe instead of getting their normal shopping high from like fashionova.com, they decide to try rent the runway, you know, just like, just being conscious and education, I think is the first step, which is where I've become like obsessed with TikTok, <laughs> like telling people about <laughs> things because no one knows people. Don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I've never, I've never been to close and I, it's, it's harder for guys, I guess. Um, like I tried one time I tried like the subscription of like, you know, we'll send you like clothing every month or whatever. And it was just awful. <laughs> it's like, I don't want any of this. Can I get my money back? And they're like, no, you can send it back. But you signed up for the subscription. I was like, okay, please cancel. Oh, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> shorts. I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, to that point, um, you know, it sounds like rent the runway, clothing rental things are a good option for people to do. Um, I would say it's a good first step for someone. There's issues there, okay. you know, because we're now uh, truckloading that stuff all over the country. So mm-hmm. I'm keeping shipping and I'm then sending it back. Someone else is keeping it for three weeks. They live in California. You know, there's a problem there, but I am. Uh, personally, I'm OK with that as being the first step for a consumer that's not ready to jump in. Yeah, and then jumping in would be not buying new not buying new at all yeah yeah i need to work on that yeah that's pretty much like i'm i don't think i have bought like new clothes in probably like five years and there's a lot of options now to shop secondhand you know it's not just like i think there was a bad connotation around the word thrift stores 10 15 years Mm -hmm. ago 
thrift stores are cool, you know? Yeah, now they're cool. <laughs> um, but in season one, we interviewed a vintage clothing store called French Fried Vintage in Knoxville, Tennessee. The, <laughs> it's a really funny episode because they're both just like so twangy, like so twangy. They're just so cute. Um, that time, and, at that time in the first season? It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go check it out. Um, but they, they kind of open up our eyes to like, you know, open my eyes. Holly obviously is a bit, a bit more in touch um, to just like the vintage clothing industry. Cause like, you know, and I think that's one twist on it that makes it more appealing is the vintage, you know, labeling it as vintage and not thrift, right? Cause I've, I mean, I can't go into a Goodwill and shop. I just like, break out hives but i can go to a vintage store and vintage store and shop and you know if i'm being honest i've just been lazy right so this conversation is helping me learn <laughs> how, I could, how i could do better thank you <laughs> yeah i know for me like the reason i started buying more like buying all thrift was really because i just started thinking so much about how those cheaper made i have never shopped at shein but even just clothes like from American Eagle, like I was like, I don't understand how these are produced. I don't want to support something that is possibly unethical and harmful to the environment. And when I would wear the clothes purchased from there, I would feel bad. And I was like, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. So now I feel like if I go to Goodwill or I get a majority of my clothes from ThreadUp, if I buy from there, American Eagle, this shirt is from there. And I think it's like from Hollister. At least I got it from ThreadUp and not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, no, that that's, a, that's a great point. And your point of like not knowing where it's made and like go back to our wine conversation in the beginning. Think about mm-hmm. like, the vetting of buying a good wine and wanting to understand like the notes and what's behind it and where it's from, mm-hmm. what kind of grapes. We can't do that with clothing because there is a lack of transparency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no one out there like showing pictures of the factory workers in Bangladesh that are producing this clothing and that, you know, that they're being paid 12 cents on the dollar. Um, just like we shop for organic food, we should research our clothing too. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, I, I think it was at the end of last year, there was that article that came out where it was like the, the conditions in the Shein factory were, were sort of revealed. And a, a lot of people were, you know, shocked when it's like, for me, when I see something that's so cheap, like cheap, uh, so inexpensive, it makes me question why is it so inexpensive? Instead of questioning why is something so expensive, I started questioning the opposite because it's like mm. when stuff trickles downhill, how much are those people getting paid? And understanding the conditions is like, I don't know how anyone can wear clothes like that and just feel fine wearing it. I'm like, it has to be it just has to be out of sight out of mind because i'm like you can't yeah 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 so whose responsibility is it right well my question everyone's yeah yeah. i'm really curious just to know your thoughts on like what do you think like is the reason is it like because of the low prices that people flock to that is it because of like our america is it like america's obsession with always having new clothes like what is it so there's there used to be four seasons right and we'd go shopping for fall and winter and then we go shopping for spring and summer there's 12 seasons now in the fashion industry Um, you know the brands like fashion nova and I mean, I don't want to keep giving shade to Shein, but the, you know, there are brands that are mass producing a style the second after Kim Kardashian walks down the runway in it before they even have true customer, like consumer reaction to if that product's going to hit. So they'll just be safe and make 50,000 units or 500,000 units, but maybe the sell through is only 20%. Well, the rest is trash. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, so the Kardashians are evil, as I suspected. <laughs> Go ahead. I love the Kardashians, but what else is driving that? I mean, yeah, there's, I think, just like the American impulse way. Um, yeah. Lack of education. Like, again, this is the same topic. You know, you don't learn about mortgages like in school and how to do your taxes. You also don't learn about this. So, yeah. I, I'm putting a lot of blame or taking responsibility for the education piece Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, there's a lot of systemic but, issues. Yeah, um, policy. Um, there's an organization called Remake that focuses on policy um, changes in the fashion industry. And I've spoken to a lot of girls that like volunteers that work there and they have more insight to that than I do. I probably need to get more educated on that side of the coin. Yeah. Well, you know what my answer is going to be is what the problem is. Capitalism. Capitalism. I blame everything on capitalism. Because yeah, I, I, I totally get it. It's like if you, you know, if you need new clothes for whatever reason, a, you know, a new job, uh, if you have to go to an event, if you have to go to a funeral, anything, it's like, of course, mm-hmm. it's so easy to walk into Target or Nordstrom or wherever and buy what you need. But I don't know. Like when I have had a new job, I've literally just walked into a thrift store and, and gotten what I needed, you know? Um, so it's, I think- it's a really vicious cycle because the more like the cheaper Fashion Nova and Target get, the harder it is for the thrift stores to start to price. Mm-hmm. And if we bottom out on pricing Target, which is like one of the most mass produced retailers, then who's going to rebuy that? Right. So pricing plays a huge part into the whole. Yeah, I can totally, which like, that's something like for me, um, I don't know who originally like started this idea. I don't know if it was, it was not Marie Kondo, but I was listening to some podcast on like decluttering and like the thought process when you're cleaning out your closet. And they were saying that you have to, you have to kind of detach the price that you paid for your clothes, like when you're wearing them, don't think about how much they cost. And that's something for me, like when I do buy a new, um, like I just, I've been wearing Rothy's shoes. When I do buy a new pair of shoes, you know, I pay more for a company that is sustainable. Like those are the shoes made out of water bottles. So it's like, I pay more and that makes me, it makes me feel better knowing that at least I paid more for something that's like more sustainable and not um, made in an unethical way. So, and it's like, if you're, if I'm buying less of that stuff, my dollar goes further. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, <laughs> a lot of people need to hear you say that, you know, like someone that's not necessarily in the industry, but is a conscious consumer making conscious decisions. And Rothy's is a great example because they use happy returns. Mm-hmm. We often get the happy returns products. So I can tell you that when we get Rothy's, it goes right back into a reseller's hands. Oh, I'm sure. So yeah, I think you said that really well. Cause it's like, okay, you can buy 50 outfits from a cheap company or you can buy, I mean, we've heard this since whenever like you can either fill your clothes with like trendy fast fashion items or you can buy like quality staples yeah Mm -hmm. to mass produce inexpensive clothing you have to use i i used to know this whole process but i can't repeat it right you know the way that the cotton's grown there's there's this whole farmer thing that comes into Mm -hmm. and the more water has to be used to make a cheaper t-shirt you know, helps, I think our impact report from 2021 says that we saved 31 billion gallons of fresh water from being used in making new t-shirts. You know, so there's whole, there's that whole side to it that we don't think about either. Yeah, the environmental impact. That's one thing when you shop at ThreadUp, they send you this order saved X Mm. amount of gallons of water from like literally washing cotton. And I'm like, that was the first time I ever saw that. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, um, I can't, I didn't even, of course I never thought about that. The Real Real uses um, those stats as well. And so do we. So I saw on your website that clothing is the second most polluting industry. That's a, that's a real stat. More than the aviation industry and the shipping industry combined. What? Yeah, fall <laughs> off your chair. Wow. That's My next question. Right? Is that like the factories polluting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's really from start to finish. Yeah, kind of like you were saying with the, the environment, so like environmental shipping. impact and everything. So what's the, the the number one polluting industry? I would have thought it was like, you know, some kind of travel. Your quiz. Are you going to make me Google this? Oh, okay. I couldn't Google it. I thought you might know. <laughs> Is it? I'm sorry. It says energy. 
Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes oh, a lot of sense. Yeah. Like general like fuels and uh -huh. yeah. If that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because um so like my day job, I'm a recruiter for an engineering firm that is focused on the power grid, the utility industry. Um and okay, but passion being second, that is awful. That is that's wild. Like you said more than air travel and shipping. That's that's just crazy. And the power grid is very outdated, which is a, a big part of the problem with, you know, pollution, because we all know that, like, the older ways of producing power are unsustainable. You know, there, there, weren't, there weren't the regulations and stuff. So there's, like, a lot of outdated things that energy companies haven't been required to improve. Right. You know, so there's, like, for example, there's, like, transformers out there on poles that are, like, 70 years old. Like, we know that's not efficient. So that's been a big part of what my company is doing is like actually improving the power grid. Um, and maybe not all be green energy, you know, obviously green energy is the, the ultimate solution. Um, but there's a lot that can be done to actually improving, you know, the distribution of power that goes into play. So yeah, that makes sense that it would be energy. So I should have known that answer, Jessica. <laughs> How about that? Um, we can have a pop quiz oh. afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so how was your pocket deep? That, that happened pretty recently. It was really energizing. I enjoyed Good. So I spoke to the MBA program on sustainability mm. and fashion, and they asked me to put together a slide deck about like the journey of a garment. Q&A went for almost an hour. They, they were so damn passionate, curious. Like, I really think that... Gen Z, at least the people that were sitting in that room saw themselves as mm -hmm. we have to make this, like, this is our job. And I was, mm -hmm. just, they invited me back for career day because I think I had so much energy. I was like, I'm going to get you all job placements, you know, like, <laughs> get you in the right seats. And like, they're asking me these questions that I couldn't answer. And I'm like, yeah, this is your job. <laughs> like, call me when you figure it out. It was really inspiring. No, for awesome. me, really, to be with them. That's helpful to hear. I do hear that a lot from, like, I have a good friend who um, is getting her PhD, so she teaches a lot of classes up in Syracuse, New York, and she says a lot of positive things about Gen Z and just the fact that they actually care, you know, and I think the hope was that millennials would be that generation, but we... I'm hopeful that Gen Z is a bit more, you know, in touch with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. They have to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's make it or break it right now. Yeah. We're out of time. Yeah. I'm thinking, <laughs> started to touch on this just in terms of like, you know, what can be done on a larger scale? I mean, I think from what you're saying, it kind of sounds like laws do need to be put in place to regulate a lot of this, but also on the consumer side, I mean, me personally, like, I feel like having this conversation without mentioning, you know, influencers is, um, is a misstep because I feel like that is a huge part of, of this culture right now. And like, I know me personally, I stopped following a lot of fashion influencers because I was like, no one's mentioning going to the thrift store. Like no one's saying, take my idea for an outfit and go to the thrift store because they don't make money off of you. Of mm -hmm. My opener at Duke was stop get off tiktok like get stop following hashtag amazon hall is like the number one thing i want you to do is that's a good point that you bring that up because you notice as you're like scrolling everyone's like this you you need this 100 this is going to change your life and it's a damn salt shaker you know and then the next day it's a plastic cutting board and the next day it's just like and the clothing from amazon is insane yes and it's buy. it's not only buy it but it's buy it in, in all the colors it comes in and yeah. i'm just like, mm -hmm. are you serious right now so i get a lot of heat kind of talking about that on tiktok and i'm trying to find a, like i still want to be able to support the influencers but i was like mm -hmm. every 10 videos that you guys do just make one video about sustainability like because they already have a following so how can we mm -hmm. use them to be the microphone for some of this yeah. 
And, you know, then people respond back and they're like, oh, you don't support entrepreneurship. I'm like, yeah, I do. But let's make it purposeful entrepreneurship, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I still follow two fashion influencers that I can think of off the top of my head that, that will say, you know, take a screenshot of this outfit, get it from a thrift store or use it for inspiration to go shop in your own closet. And like, that's the kind of stuff I appreciate, especially in our current economic times. It's like, even if you have, you know, the money to shop like that, it's like, and I'm like, where are you putting all this stuff? Like, then it just makes me think of, you know, the closets that everyone is like showing on Instagram, like, okay, I don't have, you know, I live in a 500 square foot apartment. Like I don't have a closet for that. (laughs) Like it seems out of touch to me when, I mean, I know a lot of people do shop like that, but it's just for me personally, I'm like, I can't relate. For profit for good is what I've always said about the studio. Cause we're not a nonprofit either, but you know, we're trying to do good. And, you know, like I hated on capitalism earlier, but you know, we live in a country founded on capitalism. You have to figure out how to work responsibly within it. And what did you say at the top, Jessica? For profit, for purpose, I think maybe. Yeah. I've never heard of that, but for I love that. For profit and purpose. Yeah, and purpose. Yeah. 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 So I love that. I mean, that's, I feel like that's what people need to shift to is, you know, we're not saying don't promote yourself, don't be an influencer, but be more responsible. Like you know, everyone just needs to be more responsible. For sure. And, and, you know, on the brand side, some brands I'm seeing, they're putting, they're making restocking fees mm-hmm. or charge for returns. And I think that'll in itself help before we click add to cart. Yeah. So we'll see what kind of impact. We'll see. Yeah. I know when I buy from ThreadUp, you know, there aren't multiple sizes of the item. It's, it's that one item. And so I have really relied on just measuring myself literally right before I buy mm-hmm. it. I'm, you measure because they usually do have the measurements and it's like, let me just measure. And it's like, just do that. Don't buy like 10 of the same thing. Just measure yourself. <laughs> yeah. And you can always get it tailored, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm true. I'm waiting for someone to come up with like an Uber version of tailoring. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. Is not an app where someone can just show up at my front door and hem my jeans for me, please. That would be that's very smart. So if anyone's listening, yeah. that's a really good business idea. Cause the idea. Yeah, because I love a good tailor, but yeah, it's it's you know, I say it like it's so easy to go, just like, you know, go to your tailor and get your stuff done, and then you have to wait a week, go back and pick it up. And I do miss that because like I'm originally from Louisiana and spend about 30 years of my life in Baton Rouge. And, you know, I had a tailor who was my tailor for probably like 10 years, right? And then I've been moving around since then. And God, I miss her. I miss her so much. You know, she, she just knew me. Well, Jessica, we have taken about an hour of your time. Um, and we know you have a hinge date. So is there anything that we didn't ask you that you want to talk about? No, I just plug my TikTok. Yeah, that was going to be the next thing is where can people find you? Um, You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fashion Disruptor. It's such a good name. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm proud that you got John, it. My cousin, John, that you guys interviewed recently, mm-hmm. actually helped me come up with it. Just on Did he? We were drinking wine at like midnight and he was like, you should change your Instagram name. It doesn't speak to what you're doing. And I was like, okay. So, yeah. The fashion disruptor is genius. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It, is, it like says exactly what you're doing without saying it. And mm-hmm. it sounds so cool. Yeah. I was, um, I listened to this Ted talk about entrepreneurship and it was relating entrepreneurship to juvenile delinquents because when both mm. people hear no, they think, oh wait, but I can, you know, like I'm actually going to break that rule and I can break that rule. <laughs> <laughs> feel like the fashion disruptor has some of that in there too that makes sense that's amazing well it was so much fun talking to you thank you i feel very enlightened and very inspired to um have holly teach me her ways i know i'm like so now are you ready to go to uptown cheapskate i sure am yeah how how are you gonna have to show me your ways definitely um yeah you've got a great ambassador over here with her i do don't need me at all
<laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it was so nice meeting you. Thank you for taking the time. I know that you're so busy. Um, so we really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Holly, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter at OrangeJulias7, also on thebitterlemon.com and on Etsy, Bitter Lemon Digital. And Derek, where can people find you? So I am on Instagram with my personal account at Yoga with Derek, and that's D-E-R-E-K, spelled the correct way. And on Instagram for Yoga for All Humans, it is at Yoga for All Humans on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, don't judge my TikTok game. I'm still learning. On LinkedIn, you can sync up with me, Derek Hagler, on there. And Yoga for All Humans has its own LinkedIn account as well. And of course, yogaforallhumans.com is the studio's website. Small Business Happy Hour has its own Instagram account at Small Business Happy Hour, or you can email us at smallbusinesshappyhour at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.